We began our study a couple of weeks ago on biblical manhood and womanhood, and we looked at the importance of it and how if we don't live out biblical manhood and womanhood in a way that shows forth what is accurately presented in Scripture, then there's several things that will be at stake. Last week, we looked specifically in the Genesis account at the creation of man, and we looked at four different headings, how he was created from the dust of the ground, how he was to reflect the image of God, how God provided for him, and then fourthly, the commands that were given to him to be fruitful and multiply, which will be kind of an ongoing topic over the next couple of weeks. And we also looked at how uh, God gave Adam and Eve, we'll see too, in later weeks, the uh, purpose of exercising dominion. But we discussed how important it is that man work and keep And it involved just kind of a continual care and investing and cultivating and making things grow. And I wanted to make this point today because it hit me after we left last week. Uh, There's several in this room and that will listen to this uh, uh, lesson later that are retired men. Well, how does that lesson fit into retirement? Well, while you may be retired from vocational work, we could say, you're not retired from continuing to work in a sense that you're continuing to invest in the lives of others. You're continuing to cultivate and make things grow in the lives of those around you, investing in the younger generation, investing in those in your family, so thereby still working, still keeping. Well, today we, I want to give an introductory class on God's creation of woman, woman much in the same way that we did last week. Uh, for men. Um, Our class uh, next time when I'm with you will deal primarily with how man receives the woman in Genesis 2, and we'll talk about, too, the idea of marital union, that first marriage relationship that we see in Genesis 2. The following week after that, Lord willing, we'll deal with the effects of the fall on both man and woman, and then in future classes, we'll look specifically more at roles, distinctives, functions, and duties of men and women in the home, in the church, and in society. So that kind of gives you an outline of where we're headed. But as we begin today, I want the women to see how very valued you are and the important role that you play. And for men that are in the room, I want you to understand more the importance of women. The French philosopher back in the early 1800s, Alexa de Tocqueville, He wrote in his book, Democracy in America, no free communities ever existed without morals, and morals are the work of woman. Consequently, whatever affects the condition of women, their habits, their opinions, has great political importance in my eyes. John Angel James, who is a 19th century preacher, also recognized the value of women. Listen to this. It's on your handout as he wrote, the greatest influence on earth, whether for good or for evil, is possessed by woman. That's something to consider, isn't it? He goes on to say, let us study the history of bygone ages, the the state of barbarism and civilization of the East and the West, of paganism and Christianity, of antiquity and the Middle Ages, of the medieval and modern times, and we shall find there is nothing more decidedly that separates them from the condition of woman. So woman is exceptionally important. With that quote in mind, Susan 
Hunt writes, I can almost hear, listen to this, almost hear the groans of women, where are the men today who place such high value on womanhood? Some have chosen to land on that question and write books filled with examples of how men have disappointed, discouraged, distressed, degraded, and disgraced women. Is that the case? Yes. But she says that is simply blame-shifting. The painful reality is the question that is not should be, where are the men like Tuckerville and James? The question should be, where are the true women who have such a magnanimous magnetism on our culture? With that in mind, let's set the stage and let's look at Genesis as we turn to the context of biblical womanhood. I'm going to read through part of what we read last week to get us, give us more of the context. But Genesis 1, beginning of this, verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every creeping thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and so it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now look ahead, Genesis 2, verses 15 to 25. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, this will be part of our lesson today, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all livestock and all the birds of the air and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs, closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the the man said, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and woman, excuse me, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. We're going to look at part of that verse, those verses today. Part of those verses we will look at in subsequent weeks. But today we want to look specifically at womanhood under three headings. First, how did God create woman. Secondly, why did God create woman? And thirdly, who is woman to reflect? First of all, we see in Genesis 2, 21 through 22, that while man was sleeping, 
God took a rib from the man and created the woman. Now, we might say at first glance, we might think this strange. How was man, how was man created from the dust of the ground? And God could have chosen to create woman from the ground or in another way. He's omnipotent after all, right? He could have done anything he wanted, but he chose specifically and in his own sovereignty and good providence to take from the man to create the woman. And this way, according to commentators, Adam may more fully embrace the woman since she resembled him and was taken from him. And embracing the woman, he would in fact be embracing part of himself. Furthermore, in creating the woman, God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. So he would not feel pain. Certainly that's part of the case. But also part of it could be, as I read different commentators this week, could be that Adam couldn't say, I did that. Right? If he was in a deep sleep and he just woke up from this deep sleep and there she was, there's nothing Adam could have said that, hey, that would have said, I contributed to that. Does that make sense? No, this was all from God. Matthew Henry makes a very important statement about the creation of woman and one that perhaps you've already heard but is worth restating. That the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. We see here that woman is is not to be domineering or controlling over a man. She would have been made from his head if that were the case. She's also, though, not to remain silent and not to use her gifts and graces that God's given her uh, and be trampled on by him. But she is rather equal with him in value, and in dignity. The woman is to be loved, cherished, and protected by the man. We'll look more at that in coming weeks. Well, secondly, why did God create woman? It's very clear as we read in Genesis 2.18, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. At the end of verse 20, still Genesis 2, we read, But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. And we live in a culture where manhood is just bashed. You know, we see it in the comedies on television. Men are presented as passive and ignorant, quite honestly. You may have also heard the joke that when God created man... He said, I can do better than that, so he made a woman. Well, is that the case? Of course not. Is that what's going on? No, it's not. He made woman because it was not good. It was not good that the man be alone. And man needed a helper. In other words, out of God's creation, he'd made so much by that point, right? There was not a helper that was suitable, that was, we could say, really compatible for man. The presence of a helper was necessary before God gave the pronouncement 
it is very good. Susan Hunt writes, he did not say that man was not good. He said it was not good for the man to be alone. She goes on to say, is it too much of a stretch to think that the same is true today? Surely the presence of woman is as necessary to give completeness to the home, church, and society as was Eve's presence in the garden. It was Adam's aloneness that was not good. The garden would not have been good if woman had been alone or if man had been alone. God's design is both male and female. We are different, and our differences are designed to give completeness to our relationships and to our ministries in the kingdom. Now, the Hebrew word for helper in this passage is Gen- in Genesis 2.18 is Azer. It's actually spelled E-Z-E-R, but it's pronounced Azer, and it literally means a help meet. It's used 21 times in the Old Testament, 21 times, but only twice is it used in the context of woman in the Garden of Eden. Three times this same term is used of people helping or failing to help in life-threatening situations, 16 times it's used in reference to God being our helper. That same word. We see, for example, the Lord is the helper of the underprivileged and poor, Psalm 72, 12, of the fatherless, Psalm 10, 14, and Job 29, 12. The psalmist confesses he has no help. But God, Psalm twenty-two, eleven, and Psalm one hundred seven, twelve. James Hurley, in his book *Man and Woman in Biblical Perspective*, writes about this term "azer," and he says this term is used to describe one who lends a hand or helps out frequently in the context of need. It's most often used of God in relation, though, to Israel. Woman's role as appropriate helper, therefore, does not carry with it an implication of subordination. She is the needed helper whom God supplies to end man's loneliness and to work alongside him. There's been an incorrect view by some in years past that think that term azer or helper, a synonymous word for that is assistant. Well, that's far from the truth. If God is described as our azer and our help in time of need, God is not an assistant to anyone, right? And so this is not a a term that means assistant. It is a true help meet. And we'll talk about in a moment a completer. It's not an inferior role. Far from it. Hunt describes, Susan Hunt describes again, the problem comes when we assign degrees of value to those differences because this sets the stage for competition, which flies in the face of everything God tells us about relating to one another and about serving together. We were, we were, crea- we were created to complete, not compete. Women were created to complete, not compete. Competition destroys relationships. And the writer of Proverbs says, The wise woman builds her house, 
but with her own hands the foolish one tears hers down. Proverbs 14, 1. What I want you to do, we don't have much time, but I want you to just let's spend maybe two minutes around your tables. And I want you to think about this term, azer. And what do you think about the statement that I just read? Women were created to complete, not compete. Discuss that. And then what does it mean practically to be an azer in reference to this statement? What does it mean to complete, not compete? And what does that look like practically, day in and day out? Discuss that for a couple of minutes, and then we'll come back together. All right, let's come back together just for sake of time. So we see woman was created for man, and woman was created to be his completer, so to speak, right? To be his help meet. Uh, women, do you see yourselves that way? You have a particular God-given role that is designed with the attribute of woman attached to it. Are you a helper uh, to your husband? Uh, maybe you're unsure about what that looks like, but we'll be diving into that uh, in the next few weeks. But for now, let me just say how invaluable, really, godly women are to men. You are what makes a man more complete, for sure. And there's some that are, that are here today or that will be listening later that are single women. How does this relate to you and to your specific calling? Well, you're to use your God-given gifts and graces that are specific to women to still complement and complete uh, the church and your particular role in the church and maybe your role that you have in society. Well, thirdly, who is woman to reflect? Well, like man who is created with a soul to reflect the glory of God, so woman is to reflect God's glory. In the ancient Near East, it was said that only the king of a tribe was the image of that particular God that they worshipped, which makes Genesis 1 so radical. Because in this context, in the biblical context, every man, every woman not just the king, are to image God. One author from Capitol Hill Baptist notes, nowhere does the Bible say that men are more in God's image than women. From its very first page, the Bible opposes the errors of sinful male dominance and subjugation that we see in many cultures historically and today. If God defines us as equal in value, that forever settles the question of personal worth. We talked about a couple weeks ago the ditches that men tend to fall into. One is that of passivity and foregoing leadership. The other is that of male dominance where it's it's an overreach and really an unbiblical view of extreme patriarchy and unkind control of women. As equal image bearers, this settles it, doesn't it? We are equal image bearers in God's sight. Neither one, neither male nor female, is to dominate or control. We're to embrace our complementary roles as being equal in God's sight. So I brought this just as a means of an image, so to speak, right? When you look into the mirror, you're not just to see who you are, you're to see 
who God is living through you. And furthermore, when your wife looks at you, she's to see Christ. That's humbling, isn't it? And vice versa, when others at work see you, they're to see Christ, not just you. You are to reflect His image. So to be made in His image means that we have purpose and meaning, namely to reflect Him and to glorify Him who made us and gave us our being. Let me just review from last time and today. There's a similarity noted thus far in the creation account, and that is that men and women are, in fact, both to reflect the image of God. There's several differences. First, God created the man first and put him in the Garden of Eden before Eve was created. Secondly, God gave the man the authority to name the animals. This occurred, after all, before Eve was created. Thirdly, God created the woman after the man and literally from the man's rib. God charged the man to work and keep the garden. His name, Adam, even refers to the ground from which he was formed. And then as we see today, God made the woman as an azer or a a helper that's fit for the man. Her name, woman, refers to the man from which she was made. Again, as we go further in a couple of weeks when we're back together studying this particular topic again, we'll look at the the commands given to the woman. We'll look at how uh, man received the woman. We'll look at marital union as found in Genesis 2. But here's, here's what I want you to do this week. For those of you that are married, let's go back to last week, you men ask your wife the question, am I working and keeping? Am I working and keeping in the biblical context, vocationally at work, but also in our home? Am I cultivating and am I making, am I I contributing to this family, not just monetarily, but am I helping you be better, wife? Am I helping our children be better? We're to be working and keeping and cultivating. And then for the women, ask your husband this question. Am I being a good azer to you? Am I helping you be a better man? Am I helping complete your work and your mission? And are we, even part of this is working alongside together for the betterment of those around us, for our children's sake, for the sake of the church? Are we involved in ministry together? That's an important aspect of this too. Am I helping complete you? Am I being a helpmate, a true helpmate fit for you? Ask those questions this week. Talk about it with one another. Pray together about those things that the Lord would make us that which he intended for us to be. Back in Genesis, he intends us for be, to be today. Godly men, godly women, having homes of grace that reflect his honor, his glory, his image. Let's pray. God in heaven... We thank you for your word. We thank you that this is not my word. This is your word from your holy Bible. We thank you, Lord, that you have created man. You've created woman. Father, we are equal image bearers in your sight. Different roles, different distinctives, yes, no doubt. Help us, Lord, to understand it better. That we might live out 
our lives in ways that would bear testimony to your faithfulness, that would bear testimony to the fact that you have called us by your grace and help us to live lives that are glorifying and honoring in your sight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.